We need to talk about mental health. It's one of the biggest issues facing those working in agriculture. So what's being done to tackle it? Quite often the, the statutory services are there but there's waiting times and people can't wait. You don't need to be an expert just to ask how are you doing. Having the ears to listen is a really important part of that skill and we've all got a pair of those. On the programme this week we'll hear from those offering help and later Jerome Fielder will be on the phone to explain how his friend's suicide led him to successfully campaign and get mental health taken seriously in our agricultural colleges. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. It's okay to not be okay. We've heard that message, but in farming, whether it's a sense of pride or the perceived stigma surrounding mental health, it seems many are still not asking for help. Figures have shown that in the UK, more than one farmer a week takes their own life, and levels of depression within the industry continues to grow. Help is at hand, though, and charities who do offer help are seeing more people contacting them. But is there enough funding available to help when contact is made? One charity, the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, LRSN, has seen its caseload increase dramatically over the last year, so much so that it's now trying to employ its own mental health caseworker and further train all its volunteers to ensure help is there when it's needed most. The charity held its AGM and charity auction this week. Merrill Ward is its chair. What kind of year has it been for LRSN, Merrill? Very challenging, if I was honest. Um, we've helped more farming families this year than ever before. So 140 families and over 1,000 health checks across the uh, three markets and uh, the Spalding Bull auction. Uh, the biggest challenge we have is making sure that we are volunteers and staff, that we upskill them and give them the, uh, you know, all the tools and resources that they need to actually cope with what are quite complex cases. I think it's come to the fore more and people are, it's obviously uh, in the news more, people are talking about it. We're trying to be proactive about the problem, so we've been running Rural Plus workshops. I suppose that's one example of actually trying to get people to talk about the problems before uh, things go downhill. Um, but we do recognise we've got to do more, so one of the... Um, potential ways that we're going to do that is to employ a caseworker that has psychiatric nurse experience but that will be a big cost to us so again we've got to set about sort of um, upping our funding and you know we are so very grateful for all the sponsorship and support we we receive on a on a weekly basis we're trying to plug the gap that is appearing with the statutory services so quite often the the statutory services are there but there's waiting times and people can't wait you know i believe at the moment the target is 75 percent of people to with mental health issues to be seen um, within six weeks you know that seems an awful long time if you've if you've got such a problem so we're trying to be here to actually plug that gap and also um, walk with people through a journey so it's not just a case of visiting people once or twice it's about maintaining contact um, you know until they feel that the the problems have really been resolved we touched on mental health obviously there's also uncertainty with the future with brexit what that may bring there's the long dry summer brought its own problems didn't it mm. you know so there's many issues that people just want yeah. to talk, you know they need to talk to someone don't they and that's what yeah. you offer as well there's there's always challenges yeah. in farming and in the rural community and these challenges for some people they're great opportunities for other people it can be a real 
problem area. So that's exactly what we offer, a listening ear, being able to walk with people to, to actually help them manage through those problems. Meryl Ward, chair of LRSN. Their guest speaker at the AGM in the week was Matt Caldicott. He's deputy chief officer of the National Federation of Young Farmers and has been helping for some time to ensure volunteers, such as those at LRSN, have the right tools to help with mental health issues. Yeah, to keep people talking about it, really, but not only do that, to train them into how to talk about it. Um, not approaching it from a medical point of view but from a a friend and family point of view give them the resources, the tools, the skills um, and some of the awareness to know what to look out for It is often that first step of making that, well connection and talking someone is that that is the first step really isn't it it is and it's not being afraid to ask that question um and not being you don't need to be an expert just to ask how are you doing having the ears to listen is a really important part of that skill and we've all got a pair of those it's amazing hearing how many cases there have been just for lrsn over the past 12 months and how that's growing and growing and growing has it always been there is it, is it there more now are more people coming forward now it's a really good question and i don't think um, the stats really show how that's working in terms of uh, it being a growing issue um whether it is because we're under more pressure in our culture or our society or whether it's because awareness is being raised i suspect it's a bit of both um that the more we're being equipped to know what mental health issues look like in our day-to-day lives with our friends with our family um, we're getting better of awareness of that so that's encouraging people to come forward um, and maybe even share themselves something that they didn't realize they had but they recognize it in what's being described what about uh, obviously you're part of the uh, the national federation of, of, of the young farmers clubs at a young age as well they you know seem to be more open about it nowadays than perhaps they used to be it's not just a an older farmer thing is it um i think they're more uh, at a younger age more willing to share and be more open it, it always depends on the severity of what they're dealing with um but i have seen over the years young people being very willing um, and very open with the issues that they're going through um, young people are facing an immense amount of issues nowadays with the world changing so rapidly um, digital uh, advancements and the ability to communicate with each other has changed a lot um, which is both good and bad because they can talk to their friends but they can also be bullied by their friends um, online so there are issues like that that we're creating as a society that don't help um, but maybe we can or should invest more resources into uh, how to safeguard people online and make the, that part of their world a safer place so if they do want to talk they know they've got somewhere to go to. We know there will be people listening right now who are in need of help, are going through whatever complex issue it might be, or quite a simple issue. The message to them would be just get some help, speak to somebody. The message is always the same, is is talk about it, don't bottle it up. Um, It's always the first hurdle to get over is... uh, the ability to recognise that something's wrong in yourself but then be brave enough to share that knowledge that you have about yourself with somebody else and that could be the greatest thing that you're fearing at the moment is that one moment where you admit to somebody you're not doing so well because as soon as you do that you, re- you don't know what's going to happen next but be assured it's probably the best thing you can do um, is to share that and get the support that you need.
That's Matt Caldicott of the National Federation of Young Farmers. Our own agronomist, Sean Sparling, was MC at the AGM. Uh, Sean, we'll get your latest agronomy update in a moment. But first, breaking down those mental health barriers, uh, the work of LRSN, it's such important work, isn't it? Yes, good morning, Sean. It really is an honour to be part of LRSN, you know. Um, These are selfless, dedicated people who are just raising money to help other people who get themselves into trouble and find there's nobody they can turn to. That's where LRSN comes in and you know canon alan robson it was his idea to form that and it, it does so so much good and on monday night we meet people like matt coldicott what an inspirational young bloke and it's great to know that the future of agriculture is in people like his hands then you get ian walter wonderful job as our auctioneer and we raise more this year than we've raised before and all of that will go towards helping other people we're not stacking up cash behind us we're using that cash to help people out there in the wider community. And that's why it's such a pleasure and a privilege to be part of it. And anybody that wants to get involved, just get in touch with us. There will always be a place for you, I think. We can always find something. We're always looking for people to help us. So let's move on to agronomy then. Bit of a change in the weather in this last few days, and that's that's led to one or two things, which I'll come on to in a minute. But we start with the rain. It was very variable. I took eight mil last weekend. Some of my clients out at Corringham Gainsborough away, they took about the same as me, mil you get out to Horncastle they were closer to 20 mil you get to Boston and beyond it was in the 30s so very very variable what it's absolutely done is made things wet Um, it's dampened fields and there are those people who've already drilled wheat who are holding back from putting the pre-em on because they don't want to make ruts in the field my advice to you is if it's black grassland and you felt it was good enough to drill then make some ruts go out and put your pre-em herbicide on because it's always going to work better in the very, very earliest stages of black grass growth. Once the black grass roots start to get down, and you do have a little time now because soil temperatures are falling and that process is happening more slowly, but once those black grass roots start to grow away, you put a band of herbicide on, they're always growing away. You will never get the level of control that you would if you'd sprayed it within a couple of days of drilling. Don't drive through standing water in fields. That is a non-compliance. But if you've got a sticky surface to the field, an opportunity to spray, I suggest you do that. Because in terms of black grass control, it will pay dividends hands down. And I would much rather put up with a few lumps of mud that have fallen off tyres and a few roots than I would fields full of black grass. Um, Now, the other thing that it's impacted, and this accounts for uh, winter oilseed rape as well, is what we've seen with the frost we've taken over the last few days is a noticeable disappearance of predators. So a week, 10 days ago, these fields were full of ladybirds and hoverflies and the lacewings were in there, all of which are helping us out when it comes to barley yellow dwarf carrying aphids. So the rose grain aphid, grain aphid, bird cherry oat aphid, and in oilseed rape, the Mises persicae peach potato aphid, which carry turnip mosaic virus. All the predators were there. They were all helping us out. So there was no need to think about putting insecticides on. But with the way the weather's turned, it's very noticeable that all those predators seem to have disappeared. Now, the aphids will sit there quite happily in cold conditions. It takes six consecutive minus six or below to actually kill aphids, minus eight to stop them properly. So the aphids are there in force in the centre of some of these fields of oilseed rape, right in the heart. In cereal crops, if you get on your hands and knees with the sun in front of you on a nice calm morning, you can see the aphids on the leaf. So if you haven't put a deter seed treatment on, 
you need to be thinking about controlling those aphids in the field to stop them transmitting the barley yellow dwarf virus into the plants in the first place. We then hope for minus eights over the winter so that the winged aphids don't then move in and spread it around the field. But if you put deter on the seed, if you put that on in the middle of September and you drill mid-September, then you've got about six to seven weeks protection. So come the middle of November, you'd have to start thinking about aphids. If they're there, you need to deal with them. If it's cold, you don't. Don't just go spraying an insecticide in the middle of November because your six or seven weeks are up. Look for them in the field and see if they're there. If they are, then you will need to deal with them. If you drill later than that, so at the end of October, it's unlikely you're going to need to go back in with another insecticide to control them because the, the clothionidin should deal with that problem going all the way through. Now there's quite a bit of mildew earlier on in the season in some of these fields of early drill wheat and barley. These frosts have started to slow that down and stop it. It's unlikely you need to spend money on a, on a fungicide in any of these crops in the autumn. All seed rates slightly more concerning in terms of Mises persicae aphids which are likely resistant to nearly all of our pyrethroids and with the lack of predators now they are building quite significantly in the hearts of some of these plants. My advice is watch them and have a look at them and monitor each field on its merits. Don't broad acre spray everything. If you've got a backward crop, it might be worth treating that in the field because turnip mosaic virus, if the crop is up to four leaves and it gets turnip mosaic virus, that can be quite significant, 30% yield loss. If the turnip mosaic virus comes in after that, beyond five leaves of the plant, it's a bit like sugar beet virus. If it comes in late, it really doesn't affect the yield. Same principle applies with all seed rate. So if you've already put a couple of pyrethroids on for cabbage stem flea beetle, you may well have held that population. Judge each field on its merits because it's direct feeding, which is potentially causing the problem in the more backward crops. Monitor them, have a look at them, speak to your agronomist, see what you're going to do about it, but don't just ignore the problem. Keep an eye on it and watch it. But the predators aren't there helping us at the moment. So things are changing out here in the field. It's shorter days now. The crops are definitely responding to that. Predators are starting to disappear. The bugs are still there. And these Mises persicae and these aphids are quite happy in the temperatures we've got. So don't just assume it's been cold enough to knock them out because it hasn't. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. I'll return to the issue of mental health and that personal experience of Jerome Fielder in a short while. First, our fortnightly current water quality updates from uh, Kelly Hewson Fisher at Anglian Water. Good morning. Looking at our water quality data over this last fortnight and following recent rainfall events, we have seen a continued increase in the metaldehyde levels, the active ingredient in some slug pellets. There are stewardship guidelines when using metaldehyde, which are in place to protect small mammals and birds and includes leaving a 10 metre buffer on all field boundaries, regardless of whether there is a watercourse present or not. An alternative to metaldehyde is ferric phosphate, which is not soluble in water, therefore it does not affect drinking water quality. Interestingly, cipriconazole has been detected at our hall water treatment works at Newton-on-Trent. Cipriconazole is a fungicide in the product, for example, Escolta, which is used in sugar beet. Other herbicides which have been flagged up are flufenacet, for example in Liberator, and ethofumicate, which has relatively recently been approved for use on winter wheat, and both are used in the control of blackgrass. As always, and as a reminder, please check if your land is in a surface water or groundwater safeguard zone by using the What's in Your Backyard website. Thank you, and I'll be back in a fortnight with another water quality update. She is indeed back in a fortnight. Thank you, Kelly Hewson-Fisher. 
On to the latest on the grain markets then. Fred South has the news from Openfield. Morning, Sean. This week has seen a continuation of the downward trend in wheat price as the market has digested the implications and effects of a pause in production in the Ensis bioethanol plant. This pause in production may loosen the balance sheet and encourage exports from the UK. As a reflection of this, UK wheat has increased its discount to other origins and should be more competitively priced should new business appear. The reduction of UK wheat values has caused farmer selling to slow up considerably, with most farmers having sold a proportion of their crop at higher prices. The general consensus seems to be that of a waiting game in the hope that values find some gains in the new year. The Russian story continues. Shippers are now having to go further inland to procure wheat and are becoming more reliant on rail freight and increased movement times. For now, though, Russia is looking to calm the situation rather than impose any official export restrictions. Last week, the US participated with one Egyptian cargo, which encouraged their prices higher. But they have spent this week losing their gains, and their newfound competitiveness has been short-lived. We can now see feed barley trading at a premium to feed wheat domestically in certain areas. This should price feed barley out of the rations. Having imported around 800,000 tonnes of feed wheat in the first three months of the season, that was mostly feed, there is no commercial reason to import any more feed wheat. Farmers are now coming close to finishing drilling. Soil conditions have generally been good and cereals across the region are coming through nicely. Now on to oilseed rape. There has been steady price support over the last few days heading into November, with weaker sterling helping to support values. Globally, the US-China trade dispute still dominates the headlines. President Trump is due to meet with the Chinese president early this month at the G20 summit. President Trump's, again, recent tweet prior to the US-China trade talks has propelled the US soybean price up. Is he trying to befriend the US farmers ahead of the midterm elections? Time will tell on that one. China is also proposing to lower the minimum protein content in their feed ration, thereby reducing the soy meal inclusion levels, undermining the need for imports. Back in the UK, markets have again benefited from the weaker pound, with nearby execution helping to support values. The growing crop in the UK looks good and is growing very vigorously. However, some areas were unfortunately lost to flea beetle and have been pulled up with a view to plant with spring crops. Now on to malting barley. The malting barley market has again remained very quiet this week. The European grain bourse in Rouen last week and the malting industry main event called the Braw in Germany this week has meant many traders have been reluctant to engage with the market. On the domestic front, there again has been very little activity. However, there has been some new crop interest shown this week and old crop markets remain the same with premiums around 25 to 30 pounds a tonne depending on quality and location. Forward looking, the market is going to be looking for direction for the rest of the malting barley campaign. Now on to some guide prices for feed wheat, feed barley and oilseed rape. Spot prices for feed wheat are in the region of 160 to 167 pounds a tonne. Spot prices for feed barley in the region of 155 to 165 pounds a tonne and oilseed rape spot prices 320 to 325 pounds a tonne. May 19 prices for feed wheat range from 165 to 172. May 19 prices for feed barley range from 160 to 170. And May 19 prices for oilseed rape range from 325 to 330 pounds a tonne. 
Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Fred South at Open Field. Now, let's stay with the team at Open Field and return to the issue of mental health in agriculture. Fred's colleague, Jerome Fielder, is uh, on the line. Jerome, explain why mental health is an issue that's very much close to your heart. Yeah, I've been in in the agriculture industry working for Open Field and before that um, I was at college and then university studying agriculture. Um, So I have a lot of friends in the agricultural industry and a few years ago, um, one of my friends uh, called Joe, we studied together at Ascombe Bryan College. I, I found out that he'd taken his own life. And this is after we attended college together. And um, yeah, I was, I was quite shocked at the time. I didn't understand it, why, why he would do it um, and what were the reasons behind it. So I spoke to the subject with the family and yeah, basically discovered that he was depressed uh, and that's what that's what he said to his his family and he was really struggling but basically he worked on a farm um and was quite uh, isolated and probably didn't have didn't have a great social life but when we were at college i didn't feel that we were ever it was we were ever taught about mental health and how to look after our mental health going into the agricultural industry so Many, like many people um, at the funeral, it was sort of we didn't really know how to respond to this. You know, a friend of ours that sort of died at the age of uh, 21, 22 is really tragic. What do we do? And yeah, I, I basically I decided to just share what had happened with my year group at university, just to say, look, um, this is this is a big issue, and just tried to highlight some of the the statistics re- regarding. Um, suicide rates in agriculture and the amount of people struggling with mental health um, and and from that I realized there's a lot of support to have mental health in the in the education system for agriculture um, so I started a an online petition uh, to have mental health on the curriculum in agriculture um, yeah and it just it had a lot of support I think 5,000 uh, signatures um, and and it's brought some responses. So um, the new syllabus is coming out for um, in agriculture at further education at colleges um, will have mental health included in the syllabus. So it's brought about some results, um, which is which is positive. Uh, but it's still it's still a big big issue in our industry. Hopefully, something positive from uh, such a sad event. Thank you for uh, chatting with us, Jerome Fielder. He'll be back on the program next week with the actual open field report. Thanks, Jerome. The farming program five day forecast. It's a mild week. It's fair to say we're looking at uh, highs of twelve. Wind from the south. That's uh, causing the mild conditions. Been quite breezy overnight, staying fairly breezy uh, from the south today. 15, maybe gusting at 20, 30 miles an hour for a time this morning. Should be dry, perhaps overcast though, just about everywhere. Overnight uh, tonight, we're looking at uh, lows of around 8 Celsius. Are still just above the norm for this time of year. That wind's continuing from the southeast, uh, 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, again, highs of 13. Should be dry, very cloudy though. And we're looking at uh, the winds still from the south-southeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. For bonfire night, it will be dry at first. We are expecting some rain early on Tuesday, but the fireworks should be well over. By then, fingers crossed, 10 will be the low for bonfire night. The wind from the southeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then it's quite a misty start to Tuesday. That'll be even worse with all those uh, bonfires, uh, the remnants left over. So uh, quite a murky start to Tuesday morning. 
We're looking at uh, temperatures around 13 with some afternoon sunshine and the wind from the south getting up a bit, actually 15, maybe even uh, 25, 30 miles an hour come the end of the day. Tuesday itself, the possibility of some rain overnight, particularly early on Wednesday morning. We're looking at lows of around 10, the wind from the south-southeast, 15, gusting at 35 miles an hour first off. And then after that rain in the morning, it should clear in the afternoon. We're looking at highs of around 12 for Wednesday, with wind still from the south, 15 to 25 miles an hour. As it looks at the moment, we're looking at uh, cooler temperatures towards the end of the week. Certainly overnight, 4 or 5 generally the low. Daytime highs of around 10, some sunshine but it might still be quite cloudy in places. That wind continuing from the south as well, maybe gusting up to 20 miles an hour throughout the week. So that's the forecast, as we say, can always change. That's why we have the hourly forecast to keep you fully updated. Uh, we've talked a lot about mental health on the programme this week. It affects all of us in one way or another, and there really is nothing wrong with talking about it. And there are charities available to listen in complete confidence as well, whether it's LRSN, the Samaritans, Yana, RABI, the Farming Community Network, plenty of others, and you'll be able to find all their contact details online. It's uh, worth, I think, repeating this message from Matt Caldicott from earlier in the programme. It's always the first hurdle to get over is uh, the ability to recognise that something's wrong in yourself, but then be brave enough to share that knowledge that you have about yourself with somebody else and that could be the greatest thing you're fearing at the moment is that one moment where you admit to somebody you're not doing so well because as soon as you do that you re- you don't know what's going to happen next but be assured it's probably the best thing you can do wise words as i said earlier it's okay to not be okay until next week take care